Life Audio. Welcome to Truth Tribe with Doug Grotheis, where we seek the truth through reason and evidence about the things that matter most. Today, I'd like to get to the heart of the Christian message, and that is the atoning work of Christ. Let me begin with a quotation from a man who's influenced me tremendously, Francis Schaeffer, from his book, True Spirituality. There is no death like Jesus' death. There is no parallel death to Jesus' death. This must stand as absolute in our thinking. His substitutionary death on the cross in space and time, in history, had infinite value because of who he is as God. Thus, nothing could be added to the substitutionary value of his death, nor can anything be added. He died once for all. When I revised my book, Christian Apologetics, I realized that I needed to spend a lot more time on the work of Christ. I had written quite a bit about the person of Christ, that he was divine, that he was human, that he worked miracles, that he was an exorcist, that he rose again from the dead, and so on. But I only had a few pages, really, on the atoning work of Christ, and I didn't defend it very much. So, in the second edition of Christian Apologetics, you will find two chapters on the atonement, one on stating it properly and one on defending it. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with The King Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. So we need to place the atoning work of Jesus into the philosophical context of the Christian worldview, meaning that there is an infinite and personal and triune God who created the universe out of nothing, created human beings in his image and likeness, humans rebelled against God, the fall occurred, and therefore we are in need of redemption, and that redemption or restoring a relationship with God on good terms is only available from the top down, from God's initiative. What we find in Scripture is that Jesus lived for us and suffered and died for us. And this is all substitutionary. He obeyed the law perfectly in our stead because we did not, and he died to pay a 
penalty that we could not pay. And he made an offering that we are unable to give because of sinning against a holy God. A key text on the atoning work of Christ comes in the book of Isaiah in the Old Testament, chapter 53, verses 4 through 6. The prophet Isaiah looking ahead to the suffering servant. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. See that principle there, one for another, Christ doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Verse 6, We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Isaiah 53 is quoted, I believe, five times in the New Testament. The work of Christ for us is the work of substitution. Another way of putting it is that he saves us through his vicarious work, one for another. And I like to look at five elements of this and then defend them to some extent. The first element of the atonement is what is called propitiation. That is the satisfaction of divine justice through a sacrifice. This is the image of the religious shrine. And let me read Romans three twenty three through 26 in the King James Version, uh, because the King James preserves a very important word, and that is that word propitiation. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, being freely justified by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. See also 1 John 4.10 in the King James Version. The New International Version, which I often use, usually use, simply says sacrifice of atonement, but propitiation is more specific and direct. It's the idea of satisfying divine justice through sacrifice, meaning Christ suffered for us. He took the punishment that we deserve out of an act of love. Notice that verse 26 of Romans 3 says that God might be just and the justifier of him who believes in Jesus. So God is holy and just. He can't wink at sin. He can't simply say, I'll forgive it. That's it. Something has to be done. You see, justice has to be served. And so Christ vicariously steps into history, steps into time and space, and lives the life we could not live and dies the death that we deserve. This is how God can justify the ungodly. If we trust in Christ, then the work of Christ is applied to us vicariously. So we, in and of ourselves, are not just. We are unjust and ungodly and sinful. Christ is just. So the punishment has been meted out on Christ. The enmity between God and man has been taken away through the work of Christ. This propitiation is made by God 
for God's sake and, of course, also for our sake. Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him might not perish but have everlasting life. So the cross shows us both the holy love of God and the holy justice of God. It is the love of the Trinity that sent Christ to earth, and the sacrifice of suffering and death shows that justice was meted out vicariously. Jesus bore our sins and takes our punishment. 1 Peter 2.24 He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. And that is a quotation from Isaiah 53. Added to propitiation is what is called expiation, which is the idea that we are disinfected from the results of sin. Our uncleanness is taken away. Think of what John the Baptist said when he saw Jesus. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. You see, expiation is the other side of the coin of propitiation. Propitiation means that the wrath of God against human sin has been taken away through the work of Christ, at least for those who believe in Christ as Savior and Lord. And therefore, our sinful hostility to God is taken away through expiation. It's a both and. One implies the other, and you cannot have one without the other. So the image here for expiation is like a healing spa or a healing bath. That is, our uncleanliness, our sinful orientation to God is taken away through the offering of Christ. In propitiation, you have the image of the shrine. A sacrifice is made through God on our behalf through the death of Christ so that the enmity between God and human beings is taken away. So added to propitiation and expiation, we have redemption, or the buying back of sinners from the marketplace of sin. The image here is of uh, an open exchange of goods, so to speak, and you buy something. So here, Galatians three thirteen through 15, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hung on a pole. So that is really propitiation. But notice this idea. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So the idea of redemption or buying back that which has been taken, the image of the marketplace. We also know that the work of Christ was done for our justification. That is, being made made right with God, having been given a new objective standing or position. This is the image of the courtroom. And this doctrine was recovered in the Reformation, especially by Luther and Calvin. Romans 5, 1 and 2, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace, into this grace, in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. So justification means that we are given a new status before God, entirely due to the work of Christ. It is not anything in us or anything we have done, but that which has been done for us. So Christ 
takes our unrighteousness through his suffering and death. He atones for our sin. He gives us his righteousness. Fifthly, is the idea of Christus Victor. Christ delivers us from evil and the devil and the demons, from their power. This is really the image of the battlefield. Christ is victorious on the spiritual battlefield for the souls of men and women and for the whole creation. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. That's verse 14 of Colossians 2. Verse 15, And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. So verse 14 has to do with the cancellation of our legal indebtedness. The penalty has been lifted from us. Christ paid the price and he suffered the punishment that we deserve. But notice also that means that we are liberated from the controlling power of powers and authorities, which means the demonic realm. Christ has made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, and of course also by the resurrection. So we have these five elements of the atoning work of Christ. Propitiation, the image of the shrine. Expiation, the image of the healing bath or the spa. Redemption, the image of the marketplace. Christ ransomed us from the slave market of sin, you might say. Justification, we are declared not guilty by virtue of the objective achievements of Jesus Christ. And Christus victor, this is the image of the battlefield. Christ battled and defeated Satan through his life, death, and resurrection. Now, let me defend the atonement against some criticisms very briefly. And please go to my book, Christian Apologetics, for more detail on all this. Some might say, if we are the recipients of Christ's atonement, and we have this glorious standing with God, this would lead to lawlessness, because salvation is not based on works, but rather on the grace of God shown through Christ and received by faith. Well, it is the same grace that saves us that also sanctifies us. Ephesians 2.8, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Verse 9, Not by works, so that no one can boast. Verse 10, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. The same divine grace that saves us also impels us to do good works because we are a new creature in Christ. We're born again. We're taken out of the kingdom of darkness and put into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Therefore, we are different, and we therefore hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, some have also said that the payment and suffering of the cross would not be adequate to cover sin because unforgiven sin requires an eternity in hell, and Christ only suffered a short amount of time on the cross, so that payment could not be adequate to cover the severity and extent of sin. The heretic Socinus brought this up. But this makes the mistake of not realizing who Christ was and the kind of sacrifice he offered. This is not a question of quantity 
the length or the duration of suffering. It has to do with the unique quality of the redemptive suffering that only the God-man could provide. Another objection is that this would really be divine child abuse. You have God the Father punishing his son, and somehow this leads to redemption. We can't imagine a human father punishing a child and call that loving or just. Well, Jesus was not a child when he died. He was an adult. He struggled to go to the cross. We see that in the garden. But he consented. Moreover, we know from Philippians 2 that while he was equal to God, he did not count equality with God something to be grasped. But Christ emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant, and was obedient unto death. And therefore, God has exalted him to the highest place, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue confess. So, the cross was an inter-Trinitarian decision and action. It wasn't some overbearing, mean father imposing his will on a reluctant or on a resistant son. Moreover, God the Father did not hate Jesus when Jesus died for our sins. Jesus did take the penalty for our sins. He paid the price. It was horrible suffering. However, Jesus remained God's beloved Son, and we don't want to say something like the Trinity was broken at the cross or that God somehow hated Jesus at the cross. We have to thread the needle on this. And I try to do this with a lot of scripture and logical precision in my book. But some people may deny propitiation because they take it to be God the Father hating his own son. That is not true. The son died to atone for the works, for the sin of humanity. He was treated as a sinner, you might say, for us, but he did not become a sinner and he was not hated by his father. Last objection. One person cannot be punished for another. That would be unfair. William Lane Craig points out in his book, The Atonement and Death of Christ, that there is a legal precedent for this, that one person can be in a responsibility over another such that even the person that did not commit the infraction can be legally held accountable for it. But the main point I want to make is that Christ is not just any person. He uniquely represents us as God and as perfect man. So he is in the position to enact this vicarious atonement. No one else is. And moreover, if he is not the one who takes our punishment for us, then we will have to experience that punishment ourselves forever in hell. And that is not an option anyone should want to opt for. Only God could bring salvation. Only man could pay the price. And I get that insight from St. Anselm. How do we apply the atoning work of Jesus? First, we should confess Christ Jesus as Savior and Lord, come to him, offer ourselves to him, and know that he has atoned for our sins. Second, we need to do all within our power to tell others about this matchless good news of atonement. We should really boast in it, as Paul did. So we need to engage in apologetics and evangelism to bring this message of atonement 
to the entire world. And we need to teach in the church the depth and wisdom of the atonement. So I hope this short reflection on the atonement has been encouraging and helpful to you. For more on this, please see my book, Christian Apologetics. I have two chapters, about 45 pages total. One chapter is called The Atonement, Stating It Properly. The other is called The Atonement, Defending It. I also highly recommend John Stott's classic book, The Cross of Christ, and for a very rigorous philosophical defense of the atonement, and especially a propitiation, also look at William Lane Craig's book, Atonement and the Death of Christ. That is Baylor, 2020, as a shorter book with the Cambridge Element series, simply called Atonement. It's been Doug Grotheis with Truth Tribe. I'm a professor of philosophy at Denver Seminary. If you'd like to know more about Denver Seminary and our program in apologetics, please go to denverseminary.edu. If you'd like to know more about me, please go to douglasgrotheis.com. Tell your friends about this podcast, and we look forward to the next time that we record another episode of Truth Tribe. Remember, Truth Tribe is not tribal. The truth is for everyone. Jesus said, if you are truly my disciples, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Truth Tribe is a production of Life Audio and Salem Media. If you liked what you heard today, please take a second to rate and review this podcast in your favorite podcast app so that more listeners like you can find the show. For more faith-filled, inspirational podcasts, visit us at lifeaudio.com. Hi, I'm Beckett Cook, host of The Beckett Cook Show. I lived as a gay man in Hollywood for many, many years until I had a radical encounter with Jesus 13 years ago. Since then, I've gotten my master's degree in seminary and published a book called A Change of Affection. On my podcast, The Beckett Cook Show, I sit down with fascinating Christian scholars and thinkers to address the lies of the culture and bring the biblical truth to bear on those lies. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for The Becca Cook Show on your favorite podcasting platform.